This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, our cat-loving friends. It's Linda Hall, co-host of 19 Cats and Counting. And if you have listened to us more than a few times, you've probably heard Rita recommend the book, The Lion in the Living Room. It is her favorite book. And believe me, we have a collection of behavior books written by Abigail Tucker. So we are super excited that the award-winning author, Abigail Tucker, has joined us today. And we will be back with her as soon as we get back from this ad. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, welcome back to 19 Cats and Counting. I am your co-host, Linda Hall, here with my beautiful BFF and business partner, Rita Reimers. How you doing, babe? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Are you excited? You don't know how much I love this Did I do good this this time? Yes. Do I get points for this? You get get points. You get points. I'll actually, next time you visit, I'll actually give you a blanket to sleep on without complaints. That's so nice. Without complaining. That's really I give her daughter whatever she wants, but Linda, I'm like, oh, that's not me. No no kidding. Yeah. Uh huh. New York Times bestselling author, bestselling book of 2016, out in 13 languages. So apparently, we're not her only fans. Yes, and Rita's holding up her lion in the living room, which she's starting to read again. So Abigail Tucker, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited. We know, look at Rita's just a little gobsmacked. It's going to take a minute for her to come. She's just so excited. (laughs) And you've got a a newer book out now that we want to talk about mom jeans. But, you know, the lion in the living room really stands the test. And there's, if there's, anything that we try to educate people on it's why cats act the way they do and where they came from in your book had the perfect explanation uh, perfect. you want to tell us about perfect yeah tell us about writing it and what you found out and why and why yes why did yes. you write this book? what made you go on this track yes so i am a, a cat person i was born into a cat family i've always had cats in fact my parents said that they wouldn't have any children until they learned to teach their cats a few tricks. And one of them eventually learned to play fetch with a wine cork. And they were like, perfect. That's as tame (laughs) as they're going to get. So anyways, I'm a science writer and I've written a lot of books about animals um, using kind of the tools of natural history writing to understand sort of the backstories of different kinds of critters and how they came to be. And the more I sort of learned about the animal world, the stranger and the less likely the story of the house cat began to seem to me, even though this animal had always been part of my life, I guess I didn't really understand much about 
who this creature was and how it came to be here and why. And, you know, writing all these sad natural history stories about this animal going extinct and that animal going extinct, you learn about, you know, the way that humanity kind of takes the world and, and uses it for all it's worth. But the other interesting thing about our relationship with the house cat is that we just don't get that much out of it when it comes to like stuff you can point to, like we don't eat cat eggs or wear cat fur or drink cat milk or anything like that. It's a relationship that defies explanation in some ways. And I think that, you know, I just kind of wanted to delve into the mystery of why these animals have so much power over us. And we've come up with a lot of explanations over the years from, oh, they're actually witches to, oh, no, they, they carry a mind controlling parasite called Toxoplasma gondii. So oh, we've made up all nice. these weird explanations for why cats are, you know, kind of in charge of our relationship. But I wanted to find out basically what the science we tell people all the time, you know, especially we get dog people. You can always tell a dog person, yeah. right? They're like, well, I tried rolling up the newspaper. It's not a dog. And, uh, you know, we tell people all the time, you know, we domesticated dogs. We taught them to work for us and be companions and be protectors and do these jobs for us. Cats just chose to hang out, dude. And this is like really exactly. colored the rest of life. For exactly. Us. And what's funny is that we all, we tend to equate cats and dogs, because these are like the best companion animals. But in fact, both are outliers in terms of the arc of the way humans domesticated animals. So dogs were domesticated long before we domesticated goats and chickens and things like that. Whereas cats are still undergoing the process of, of domestication. So the cats are sort of the slow pokes there. We've never really been in charge of their domestication process. They have, they're what scientists refer to as commensal animals. They're animals that hang out in our sphere and we change them. They wouldn't exist without us, but we're not in charge of them. And so we think of cats and dogs as being kind of equals in our minds, but really cats are a little bit more like something like a pigeon or a rat, something that is in the human sphere and exploiting us rather than the other way around. Um, And I think one of the funniest ways to go and like check out the difference is to attend a dog show and then a cat show. And that is like a stark, it's like, oh, here's the dog that can, you know, detect cancer by sniffing you or find drugs or bombs or save you from drowning. And then you go to the cat show and it's just this like display of useless beauty and I'm always saying, I mean, we bred dogs for specific breeds to be working dogs for specific purposes, and they all look different. Look at each breed of cat. They look pretty much the same, except for maybe fur length, uh, coloring, you know, they're bred for beauty. They're not bred for any utilitarian purpose at all. Exactly. And then the other interesting thing about that is that dogs, so many more of them are, so we are in charge of how a lot of dogs breed, especially in a place like America, you don't see dogs, wild dogs roaming the street so much. And they, you know, have a lot harder time surviving without us, their hunting skills aren't as good, they don't have these pack hunting habits. Whereas cats, we only have a say over like a teeny tiny number of who breeds with who, like most of the cats that are in our houses aren't going to breed with anyone because they've been, you know, altered. Whereas there's this equally large sort of thriving shadow population of cats in alleyways and also in wildernesses and even in crazy places like on the tops of volcanoes or on 
uh, you know, deserted islands near Antarctica. And those guys are just breeding with abandon there, you know? <laughs> and so we may nudge one breed this way or one breed that way a little bit, but the vast majority of cats are just beyond our control. And we couldn't control them if we wanted to, in terms of like shaping the destiny of their species. Basically. Right. Well, and even in behavior, we have, every once in a while, I, I get the client that I think, oh, I'll bet you look for that magic weight loss pill too, because it's just not that. <laughs> and, and they get upset when we want them to do this and this, because they want us to just go in and fix the cat, right? There's a screwdriver. There's a- <laughs> yeah, there's no tool invented that we can let. No, it's all like, fixed. we have to change you and how we look at the cat. We have to understand the cat. We have to, there's a whole psychology. I love dogs, have a dog, but I'm a cat person. I grew up with a dog. I love them too, but I am a cat person. No, I, their, their personalities, (laughs) the stuff in your book, it's that stuff. It fascinates the living heck out of me. Like (laughs) I can't get enough. Like start talking to me about how whiskers have sensors in them and I'm gone. I mean, this is the most fascinating thing in the world. They're so, yeah, they're so exquisite. And, you know, one of the cool things that I got to do for the reporting was go to this lab where they had the, they were doing archaeology on this Neolithic village from, I think, what is modern day Turkey now. And they had sort of evidence of the first house cats coming into these settlements. And we can talk I a little bit about that. that. I love that. <laughs> You were all over the place. You were really tracking. You know, cats get around. Lions used to be the most um, widely distributed land mammal. But, you know, in the 21st century, that title belongs to the cat. They are everywhere. Yep. 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 And I think we used my head at this very moment. Oh, sleeping. Yep. <laughs> I think we, I... we used to be food for cats a long time ago. Saber tooth tiger. Sure did. <laughs> that was hilarious. I mean, that's like, this is something I think cat people think is hilarious. Is it really hilarious? I'm not sure. But basically you learn as you start to talk about sort of the deep historical relationships between the human family and the felid family. And basically what you find is like a lot of these bone sites where archaeologists are learning about early humans are like big cat kills. They're, you know, their cats killed so many of us and left our remains scattered hither and yon. And now, you know, we can learn about, about ourselves through these, you know, massacre sites, basically. And some scientists even have these theories that humans couldn't have grown our big brains without our relationship with the big cats that we originally would have been um, what's called kleptoparasites. We would have been following around, you know, the prehistoric equivalent of of lion prides or saber tooth tiger prides and taking the remains of the meat that they couldn't get off the bones. And then once we sort of like developed this meat addiction, we were able to like grow these bigger brains. And then we started to be able to kind of compete with the cats a little more rather than just being like these pesky little parasites stealing the trash of giant cats. I love this. I love this. And people who say they hate cats, they just, they don't understand cats, but they really don't understand the history of the relationship humans have always had with, with felines of various types. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Literally reading this book can really further your relationship with your cat because you have to understand why they do stuff. And we get so many people that think their cat did this thing out of spider vengeance and, and their cat's a jerk or their cat hates them or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. Everything a cat does is for a reason or yeah that's my favorite 
My cat peed on my shoe for no reason. No, there was a reason. No, there's a reason. There's a reason. reason. (laughs) Let's unpack this and we'll talk about it. But there's definitely a reason. There's always a reason. And it's never spite or jealousy or hate. It's all built in. It's survival. Cats are built. Everything they do is either for their own personal survival or survival of the species as a whole. I mean, that's their whole motivation for whatever they do. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, they can, in a way you know, the fact that they're in our houses at all is a kind of, it's kind of a miracle. Like if you think about yes, the, the, the way, you know, there are the cat feline relationship has been always like, it's been the most bitter of rivalries. Although there was sort of a mutual admiration too, in these old cave paintings in France that they found from 30,000 years ago, the, um, you know, the, the prehistoric guys were, drawing these beautiful pictures of lions and they clearly admired them and they feared them. And it was just this kind of, you know, a relationship of two deadly matched foes. And then kind of in the last hundred years or so, humans have kind of permanently gotten the upper paw or upper hand over the cat family. But with this one exception, just as we have, you know, unfortunately begun to extinguish pretty much of the other, every one of the other several dozen kinds of cats, you know, from, from mountain lions to, to snow leopards, you know, all these other beautiful felines, there is this also amid the sadness, there's this riotous success story, which is the story of the house cat, which managed to, instead of being destroyed by the spread of humanity, they managed to exploit the um, conditions that we created to become, you know, maybe the most successful land animal that the world has ever seen. And so like, when I look at my cat, now, you know, I think of it as kind of this amazing voyager who has traveled through space and time <laughs> yes. to kind of like end up on my couch, which is sort of in a way like no matter, you know, cats live in the craziest places in deep bush in Australia in the thick forests of Madagascar. In a way, our home is the strangest place and the most unnatural place for them to be. It's a true story. Mm -hmm. And they are stressed a lot of times by, you know, this, what we think of as being like, you know, oh, kitty, you've got it made in this house. It's like, can be a stressful place for them. And I guess that as a pet owner was a practical thing that I learned that, you know, you have to respect this, this majestic little meso predator, as scientists would call, would call them and, you know, realize that it's come more than halfway to meet you in your home where you live. And I love the fact that we don't get anything from cats. I think that that makes our love story sort of like the purest kind of love story. It's like, I don't want anything from you. I'm not going to use you or extract anything from you. I recognize that you're extracting stuff from me, but I just love you. (laughs) You We don't want you to fetch our slippers or newspaper or anything. We're just there to pamper you. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. We're besotted. (laughs) The thing is, they they do give back to us. It's just not expected. We don't expect it of them, but they do give back to us in the fact that they help us with, you know, they help us calm. They help us with stress. They help us with our blood pressure. Um, They really do at the end of a hard day, help you to relax. And they also have some other healing properties with their megahertz and their purring. And Linda, Linda has experience with her daughter. Tell her about Kismet. 
My daughter, Kismet, the cat that's behind my head at this moment. Sorry, everybody listening to the podcast that can't actually see the orange blob by me. But um, yeah, he's always been a really special cat. It's one of those cats that I didn't want. Isn't that how that always happens? He was FIV positive. Nobody wanted him. Finally, I said, fine, I'll take him. He was in the Carolinas. I'm in Ohio. We got him here. He's just awesome. But um, my oldest daughter has a seizure disorder and it, it just comes on randomly. For a while, it was happening more often. We tried all the medications. She went to neurologists, cardiologists. She had all the little leads on her scalp looking like an alien and had to sleep on that thing for a couple of days. She did the whole gambit. They could not find anything to stop it. So one day she was over here and she sat down and she said, mom, it's coming. Crap. I'm in trouble. Oh my gosh. What am I going to do? Cause she starts getting really hot. Kismet came out of nowhere, jumped on her, laid on her and was like putting his paws on her face and purring so loudly, you could hear him in the next room. And he stopped her seizure. Nothing wow. has ever, when it starts, it's going to finish. Nothing has ever stopped it before. And it's so, more than once. So stuff. we're like, yeah, it's happened more than once. So we're like, yeah, anytime. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, right? of course, like when, when I say they don't give anything back to us, I mean that, you know, in terms of like, if you were to make a spreadsheet of like, you know, the goods and services provided to us by cats, like maybe, you know, it's not a long, long list, but the things that they do provide, like my kids, you know, we have gotten a new kitten recently and I wish that she would wander this way so I could show you guys. She is just the cutest. And I'm kind of in that giddy phase of like, (laughs) I just can't stop giggling. Like, it's just like, we are having such a good time and you really can't put a price on that kind of enjoyment but in terms of like a cold eyed exchange of like I'm going to feed you this many calories and you're going to give me this many pounds of flesh which is like what our humans relationship with most domesticated animals is it doesn't have any kind of you know they're like a like they're a luxury good they're just something we love them because they're beautiful and they're so I mean, the sensations they provide and the amusement they provide, and we just kind of, I don't know, it says good things about us that we love them, because it means that there can be a selfless capacity sure. to, to humans. There's not a day when they don't make me laugh. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> you know what you're looking for. And you have to understand how cats communicate, you know, and I, somebody recently, you know, I don't understand what the obsession is over cats. Dogs show you love cats. Couldn't care less. I'm like, oh, okay, speaking of I get it that the dog is wagging his tail and going, <laughs> and he's so happy to see you. And he's waiting at the door. I get it. It's so obvious, right? (laughs) Too obvious. Come on, dog. You don't have to try that hard. I like it more subtle. You know, it doesn't mean that cats don't show them. It just means it's more subtle and we don't see it as much. You got Dexter behind you. Yes. I can always tell when Rita gets distracted. Her, her, she got a live yeah. one down there. Yeah. Oh, this is my yeah. beautiful black wow, kitty. Jessica. Dexter. Say yes. hi, Dexter. Wow. He's he here. like a, a black uh, panther. Um, Doesn't he? Yes. yes. Although I learned I in, so. my, in my reportage that there is no such thing as a black panther. There's only black leopards and black jaguars. It's spotted cats that have a black face. Ah. A panther is a word for a mountain lion, which doesn't have a black face. So I, I was fascinated. I did not know that either. That's interesting. So that was I would have said things. the same thing. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, going to the zoo, it's like, oh, well, I see a big black cat. That's a black panther. But 
it could be one of two different kinds of animals. Anyways, that's just a side. That's for the pretty cat. cool. Aside Actually, cat cool. we like there. learning stuff. Actually, we like it, learning stuff. In the light, he looks more chocolate than black. Yeah, he is gorgeous. Isn't he beautiful? He appeared on her desk. That's the name Dexter. Um, she had lost another cat, and she said. So help me, I am not taking in another cat unless it appears at my door. You, <laughs> 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 Dexter. And God laughed and then sent Dexter to her door. Oh. We have to take yes. a break. break. But this is a great place to segue because, Abigail, you have a new book. And I think dovetails very well into what we talk about as far as cat behavior as well. So let's take a break and we'll get back and talk more about cats and Abigail's new book. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (laughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to 19 Cats and Counting with my BFF and co-host Linda Hall and our special guest, author of my favorite book in the world, Abigail Tucker, author of the lion in the living room. And if you want to understand your cat better and the history of where cats came into our lives and how they came to be such a big part of our lives, you've got to read that book. Yeah. Answers all the questions, all the questions. So uh, there was something that you said, and I don't remember what it was, and I wanted to follow up on it. It'll come to uh, you. Yeah, it'll come to me. So, uh, yeah. I wanted to say that I love that anecdote about Dexter, because that's how cats have always done things. You know, people go to usually have to go to the pound to look for a dog, but cats, Mm -hmm. cats have been showing up at our door for 10,000 years. They were the ones who, who invited themselves in and they're they're still happening. And (laughs) even at the shelter. I didn't go in and go, oh, look, that's pretty. I want that. I, it was the cat that chose me, that followed me around and wouldn't leave me alone. And it's like, okay, you. I guess you're coming home. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Baca, we had gotten one cat and we knew that two is better. So we went back to get another cat and Baca followed me everywhere and would just on my shoulders and fo- leaping from counter to counter. And finally I said, okay, I think okay. this is my lap cat I that I up. need. I'm, I'm getting this cat. We got home and she <laughs> said, see you later, sucker. Um, and did not snuggle me once after yeah. that. She actually chose my daughter, Lizzie, to be her person. She was heartbroken when Lizzie went away to college and I was so worried about her. And then she chose my husband to be her person after Lizzie. Left. Still, still, no, <laughs> no, still not me. You know, they're the crafty. one that went to school, <laughs> but you know, it's all right. Oh. It's all right. Go ahead. 
take everybody but me. Well, <laughs> hey, if Dexter had his way, he would have gone home with you and Nikki when you. Were I would have family. brought Dexter home, but if I bring a twelfth cat home, I'm pretty sure my husband's serving me with divorce papers, <laughs> so I'm not risking it. So this is really Linda's cat. I just took care of him. So yes, yes, you, yes. You I have... am in love with her cat. But, you know, oh my gosh, you were talking so about everything that cats um, teach us and stuff, and so I have been, and I, I'm working on an article about it, but I have been had this epiphany one night that cats, I think all children should be raised in houses with cats because cats teach us consent. You know, if you think about, you know, I've had dogs and I remember when the kids are little and they're like climbing on the dog who's trying to eat and the dog looks back at me, this pitiful face, like, will you please get this thing off my back? Yeah. Cats like ain't happening. And, uh, yep. you know, so you have to learn to watch the cat, you know, and I have to tell my kids, we have a semi-feral cat, especially that everybody wants to pet because we can't and she's fluffy and pretty. Well, we can once in a while. Yeah, and so, gorgeous. you know, it's really come at her from her level um, sit as she's sitting, whatever, you know, put your hand out, let her say, okay, how's she acting? Oh, her ears went back, back off child. You yeah. know, we have really taught them to watch. And I think that every human being in the world needs to treat each other Agreed. with that. What, you know, I'm watching your body language. I'm saying that you're not feeling good about that. I'm backing off. Right. I'm not pushing. I think that's so true that, you know, you have to sort of learn to, to read the signs of these little creatures. And I think kids really can do it. And if they, if they don't, then, you know, they, they face the consequences that's because it. cats, you know, like among the, the other things that I think is fun about cats, is like, yeah, we let them mildly assault us. If, you know, if they don't like us, they'll give us a, you know, they'll give you a, a scratch and, you know, we deserve it a lot of times. And I think it's just kind of, it's, just adds to the silliness to me that we like let these heavily armed little predators live in our, our houses with us and slash <laughs> at our children. And we're like, Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's so cute because they're not doing it out of anger or revenge or no. because their motives are always pure. There's no other being on earth like that. Right. Exactly. And, and That's true. Even our, humans. Yeah. yeah. People, yeah. people ask me often how my dog handles the cats. Well, first of all, I don't think she knows she's a dog. I'm pretty sure she's incredibly confused. And I guess yeah, she stands in the litter box. of doggy therapy. Yeah. One day she just stood in the litter yeah. box. Like I've seen others do this. I feel like I should. I think I'm not really the new, sure. The new trend. <laughs> I told her I'd pay her money if she'd actually pee or poop in it. So I didn't have to take her outside in the snow, oh, but no, oh, that didn't happen. Now right? that she wasn't be... helping me with that, but out of 11 cats, she has gone up to each one and tried to play with them and been biffed in the head, except one Galway uh, orange boy on my bed behind me is the only one that will allow her. And so she knows, you think she's gone back up to anybody else to try to play with them? No, she's not dumb. She's going to smacked upside the head <laughs> and she'll roll around with Galway and she'll her, her growl and really carry oh, on. Like fun. she's doing something. And I keep looking at her thinking that cat could make a mess out of you with one swipe. You don't know. Oh, Sadie yeah. Is a chihuahua, so Galway's bigger than her. Yes, oh my yes, but yeah, I, you know, it's. But again, it's all about the cats. Sadie went up to eleven cats and said, "Will you play with me?" No, okay, that's fine. Oh, I got one, one out of eleven. Okay, please don't. <laughs> you know. So, Linda. Let's pivot the conversation a little bit. One thing that Linda and I, when we do behavior sessions, we often compare cats' behavior with the behavior of children. And Abigail, you've segued and you have written a book about children. Have you, have, you <laughs> found, have you found similarities? About their impact on us more, isn't it? From what I, I was like, I think I need to read this book. 
Oh gosh. Yeah. It's about the, it's, it's called um, mom genes and it's about the, the way that the maternal transformation, you know, reshapes uh, parents and especially mom's brains. And um, one of the interesting things is that I learned about, and I wrote about this a little bit in the line in the living room and I continued uh, the thread in mom genes is about the um, one reason that we're so, so basically 10,000 years ago, when we started becoming sedentary people and letting, creating, you know, instead of moving around the landscape, we're building settlements, we're making huge piles of trash, we're killing off all the top predators and ecosystems. And then all of a sudden there's this thing called a mesopredator release where all these medium-sized predators like foxes and I think badgers and the wild ancestor of the housecat, Felis sylvestris liberta, they're all coming rushing into our, you know, little villages and snatching our trash. And they were so little that we didn't bother to kill them. But it's kind of like the way we think of like raccoons today, where it's just like, oh, pests. Well, the question is, why did cats get to transform further? Um, and why don't we have pet fox? Why aren't, don't you have 11 foxes in your house? Or, you know, they're like the same, they're the same size and everything. And one um, reason is that cats have a near perfect set of what is called baby releasers. So the human brain is geared to respond to the sight of an infant's face. And that infant's face is something that, you know, two big eyes, it's a little snub nose, it's a short mouth. And cats have this face more than any other kind of animal. I think I read that somewhere. I was going to say, Rita has told me this story once and I'm like, I know where she got it from. Yes. So in the mom genes, I went to these labs where they basically take moms, dads and other, you know, people too, basically everyone. And they put them in these skull caps of wires, these EEG machines to read the electrical readings of their scalps. And then they just like show them a bunch of baby pictures. And basically the human brain just kind of like goes wild for this set of features. And it's cats don't look like humans more than foxes do because they're any more closely related to us. It has their set of facial features has to do with the way they hunt. They have like these big round eyes close together because they're visual predators that are ambush predators. So they need really good binocular vision. They have short jaws because they do that whole sort of big push and tackle and grab on the neck. And it's just a happy accident for them. But it just showed like I got to basically burrow into the maternal brain and see deeper why we are so vulnerable to this set of features, why we find them to be so visually arresting and a little bit more about sort of my, I have this interest in why, why cats took over the internet rather than other animals and a whole bunch of kind of crazy theories about that. But so yeah, so that's, that's one sort of common thread, the fact that I learned more about the complete power of the baby releaser over the human brain. And then the other thing was that I just kind of learned about um, maternal behavior and a lot of different kinds of animals. And we were talking about, you know, dogs are sort of our ultimate, I don't want to say they're not our prisoners, but they're our dependents. They depend on us for food, for love, you know, for social structure, all these things. Whereas your cat, you know, silly and helpless as it looks like you could plop it outside and it has a good chance of surviving. And the other thing that it has a good chance of doing is raising a litter of kittens in nature without any help from people. 
And dogs, it turns out, like even though there are a lot of places in the world where there are packs of street dogs, it turns out that those animals are actually not that good at raising litters of kittens in in the wild. It, they tend to sort of recruit new members, like their you know dogs keep getting out and the packs keep getting bigger, but the packs are not so good at having babies in alleys and growing them to adulthood. And so basically, I learned a little bit about how the process of domestication can erode maternal instincts in animals. And one reason that cats are just like taking the world by storm is that they play it both ways. They can get along in our houses, but their wild instincts and their maternal instincts are more or less intact. So they can conquer a random rainforest in the middle right. of nowhere and have a bunch of tiny kittens there and they'll grow up and, you know, eat all the endangered seabirds. Exactly. <laughs> That's just how they do. <laughs> That's so true because we're always telling people, you know, that these behaviors and these instincts that they do are just, they're so ingrained into their their natural psyche, they're not doing anything to hurt you and everything to help themselves. There's reasons behind everything. And it's all got to do with the survival and the fact that they're still pretty wild in nature, really. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Still operating by instincts. I don't know how many times somebody would ask a question and the answer starts with, in nature, cats are both predator <laughs> and prey. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, 8 million times I have made that statement. And yeah, if you can't go back, you're just accepting this creature into your house like it's a small dog or any other animal. You've got trouble because they, they're just such different and unique creatures. And until you can understand them and why they do the things they do, you're just creating more problems. And, and we like our clients to know, too, because, you know, if your kid gets mad this. at you and, and just dumps that red Kool-Aid on the cat, you're mad because he was being a jerk, right? So if yes. you think that your cat peed on your bed because your cat's a jerk, you're mad at your cat. You can't fix the problem and come together when you're in a negative space. You got to exactly. understand it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to, trying to remember the context exactly, but you know, the, the way that our cats get stressed out in tiny apartment spaces. And basically, I think I talked to, a, I'm trying to re recall this part of the book, but a veterinarian who took like all of the worst case scenario behavior problem cats who are just tearing up their owner's houses, peeing and pooping everywhere total disasters. And he basically, I believe, took them away from their owners. And even though the owners were trying to shower them with love and hugs and all this stuff, and he like put each one of these like lost cause cats into a, a small cage and just did everything at the same time every day, came to feed them the same time every day, gave them all the same, exactly the routine. And that love is a routine. huge parallel with little kids. Routine is everything. And so basically what he found was that, you know, these cats who, some of them were on the verge of being euthanized, their yes. behaviors were so terrible. Mm -hmm. He found it was like, you know, the awakening or something. He found just by changing the environment that the animals were in, and giving them a sense of order that they metamorphosize overnight into almost like different creatures. And it's funny because it's almost like the people who had these cats were like the most likely to 
to kind of, they love them so much that they almost messed up. You know, it's like if your cat is under the couch, then it might not always be the best thing to drag the cat out. It's like the the worst thing to drag the cat out. Yes. Predator, predator, I'm going to be eaten. Yes. Exactly. I tell people if you were, you know, you're in the middle of the night, you hear a noise, a bad guy has broken in. You go and hide in your closet and dial 911. How excited are you going to be when the door opens and a hand comes through? Oh my gosh. That's what you're doing to your cat when it's under the bed. I went to hide. You can't come after me. I mean, some of these stories were so, I mean, they're both sad and funny. Like this one man who had a beautiful apartment and his cat was so unhinged that he started wearing these special pants made out of like bulletproof material. And he also gave his cat his Kevlar yes and he gave (laughs) his cat his master bedroom that had this magnificent view and he was just like doing everything he could but then sometimes it's like no the cat doesn't really care about the view of downtown LA it just wants his food at like you know the same time every day and like not for you to have uh you know 10 parties a week or whatever like you know it's about so cats can survive in any kind of environment that's why they've outlasted the lions that's why they're so successful today but our homes though we think of them as being like the cushiest spots can actually be the most challenging places for cats and by modifying the environment we can modify the cat's behavior and by kind of doing things thinking of it from a cat's eye view, I guess, and kind of, you know, doing the thing of having the extra litter box or who wants an extra litter box? Not me really, but the cat does. And, you know, it has, you know, these are solitary animals by nature and we have to sort of meet them on their terms and they can also kind of meet us and learn how to communicate with us, but it just isn't quite as natural for them as it is for dogs at first. Yes. (laughs) For some cats. I have a few cats that will tap me on the shoulder to get my attention. I find that hilarious. Yep. Yeah. I have this, this new little kitty I have, we had to, so I, most of my cats have been from shelters and especially just like shelter kittens. This new one is a, she's called a Siberian. Um, oh, she's a, like them. a, oh, she's so cute. Of course she will not come out now if I want her, but, um, <sighs> but she oh, so is so beautiful. A, She's lovely, but she's, we had to get her because we have a super allergic family member. um, And so we needed to show, you know, that we cared very much. And we, so we got this not free (laughs) cat, which is like sort of a hundred years ago, people could not believe that anyone would ever pay money for a cat. We actually paid money for a cat. I get it. And it was the right, you know, it was the right thing to do. But the interesting thing is that she is different than the other cats I have. And I'm not sure that if it's because, you know, there's two things it could be. Well, three things. It could just be her. It could be the fact that, you know, this is a business for somebody. And so they spent a ton of extra time socializing her in that critical window of kittenhood. I'm sure. Where I think like a lot of my other kittens had just been like in a box somewhere. Sure, in the that yes. Or it could be that with some of these little breeds, we have actually made progress in terms of like modifying their behavior and the way that they relate with us. Because I have never met a more social cat. And it sort of floored me because a lot of my cats have been, you know. Well, if you think about how our breeds created, though, you know, inbreeding and inbreeding. So those same genes, you know. They're just the friendly genes. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just, it's, it's just a little bit shocking. I've met a lot of cats and, you know, it's probably a combination of breeding for social behaviors, which can happen within, you know, the famous Russian fox farm um, experiment, you know, they, 
they bred these, I think they were silver foxes, instead of breeding them for nice fur or whatever, they were breeding them before they started breeding them for temperament. And within only a few generations, the foxes had become much more dog-like. And they also started to change in the terms of the way that they looked. They started like developing these floppy ears a little bit. I was going to say the ears, because that the is ears. a good one. I've told exactly. you that. Yeah, you yes. have told me that. Yes. The you domestication like, syndrome. Read it. Isn't yes. it that book? I remember when you read that and you were like, look, look at dogs. Look at Kent. Look, this is right. Yeah, she's <laughs> very excited point. about that. Yeah, you still have the ears. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's so much in that book, and oh yeah, I, I do relate with the mom genes. I tell Rita all the time because she'll say, "I don't have kids," and I'll say, "Oh, you've had kids. You just haven't had human kids." <laughs> well, I find you know? it interesting that cat owners tend to call themselves cat parents, and dog yes, owners yes. are dog owners, right? Yeah, and I yes. think that's because they look so much like babies, and even a they kitten do. crying sounds like a baby. Very much. Yes. Yes. More than other. I think their meows have sort of changed to sound more childlike over time, which is uh-huh. interesting. And also like just the weight of a cat. Like I always hold my cats like in a cradle or not always, but you know, if they like it. I'll hold them like that to show them around the house. And it's the same weight. Like it's like an eight or 10 pound cat. Yeah. It's like, oh, a newborn. And they're so soft. Like and they you snuggle know, and close and you can yeah. feel their breath. And yes. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Dexter fits the eight to 10 pound category and no. now he's a little above that he's a yeah. pretty pretty big boy a burly guy uh, yeah yeah he's gonna be a big old town i keep telling yeah. you that yes. we could keep talking and talking and talking we've gone over 30 minutes but i want to make sure that we we wrap this up and abigail i want your new book sounds like there's a lot of wonderful insights in that book as well Oh, thank you guys. Thank you so much. Yes. And available on Amazon. We've got abigailtucker.com. Where else right. can they find you? What else do they need to know about you? That's pretty much it. I uh, I think the books are available where wherever books are sold, but I appreciate it, guys. This has been so much fun. I love going back to cats. Moms are interesting, but cats are maybe are even more interesting. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Well, I was just so excited when you wrote back because I thought, I'm going to try to see if I can get Abigail Tucker for Rita. And, and yeah, she I surprised was so me. She surprised me. Yeah, I didn't tell her I was doing it. So, yes. Yeah, so Your guys have had overjoyed. too good of a name. I could not necessarily say no to somebody with such a cool name it's all in the name they can't pass this up because of the name well anytime you're doing anything you want to promote anything you want to talk about anything you're welcome to come back i know there's so much more about the cat psyche that we could dive into and uh i love that all pets in general it's it's fascinating how each and every species has come into our lives yes 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 i agree and get the lion in the living room. There's a reason it was on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, it'll give you some great insight. Thank you, guys. Now, unfortunately, we have to wrap it up here, but I have to thank Abigail Tucker, author of my favorite book, The Lion in the Living Room. If you don't have it, please get it. Thank you so much for appearing on our podcast. Linda Hall, as always, my best friend and my cohort, pleasure. my partner in all things. And of course, Mark Winter for putting our show on Pet Life Radio. We have to give him a big, huge thank you. Please visit our website, catbehavioralliance.com, if you need cat behavior help. We are turning our company into a 501c3 nonprofit. And soon we will be building Sadie's Heart, Cat Sanctuary, and Outreach. So please find out more about that on our website too. Until next time, remember, every day is Saturday. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.